you go copy them, you're dead. Guru told me to go copy the top three ranking pages on Google for this. All right. Well, the first ranking page is a major publisher. The second one's an Amazon S page. We all know what an Amazon S page is. Um, and the third one is a Wikipedia article. See what happens. Go copy them. I mean, yeah, extract all their keywords and, and time flip it or TF it. Good luck. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Kasiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Jeff Coyle. Jeff is a data-driven search engine marketing executive with more than 18 years of experience in the search industry, managing products and website networks. As the co-founder and chief strategy officer for Market Muse, he's focused on helping con marketers, search engine marketers, agencies, and e-commerce managers build topical authority, improve con quality, and turn semantic research into actionable insights. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I look forward to the discussion. Me too. Uh, so first of all, before we uh, jump into the many questions that I have for you uh, today, <laughs> uh, can you please give us a background about you? What has brought you to um, where you are today? Sure. Um, yeah, you mentioned 18. It's, it's more like 23 now, scarily enough. Uh, but I've been, uh, you know, my background, I went to Georgia Tech for computer science. Um, so I have a computer science degree focused on usability theory. I also did some work in designing ad servers and search engines at that time, right away, early days, you know, intranet search, that type of stuff. Um, I worked with a company called uh, Knowledge Storm. I was one of their earliest employees. We were a company that was trying to get people to buy leads for B2B software. Um, and via content. So we're trying to convince large technology companies to have content and to try to get leads with content. Um, and that was, you know, a new thing. Um, and so we had, we were selling, you know, millions of leads per month, um, you know, syndicating white papers, trying to get eyeballs on eBooks and brochureware and product listings and everything related. We were uh, purchased in 2007 
uh, by Tech Target, who is a major publisher in the B2B technology space. Um, I led their in-house team, uh, which was everything from paid, organic, some elements of product management, community management, social, uh, you know, and then, you know, until my time there in 2015. Uh, I, I mentioned that it's important because that was really when I got exposure to what great writers were all about, you know, great editorial minds, uh, subject matter experts. And what I realized was that, you know, a lot of those processes were very manual, very subjective, um, and they weren't driven from data. And then there was a problem with the way that search engine optimization, the way that content strategy was perceived in the market or lead gen was very much um, at loggerheads with most editorial perspectives. And so I spent a lot of time there trying to figure out how do I make a lot of these processes less manual um, while also making them digestible, so appropriate for experts, appropriate for, for, for editorial experts. And that's really what gave me the, um, you know, the desire to look for ways to provide um, search engine optimization, lead gen appropriate, you know, RPM, monetization appropriate recommendations for writers and editors. Um, and that's when I met my co-founder, uh, Aki, and he had built the earliest version of Market News, which was basically a topic modeling engine that said, if I were an expert and I were covering a topic comprehensively, how would I do that? Um, and I was like, whoa, that's the thing that I wanted to build. Um, and it worked. Uh, and then a few months later, after I had left uh, Tech Target to go work at a private equity firm, he came back and said, hey, Jeff, you want to um, join me as a late co-founder? And I said, uh, what's that? And he's like, you're not going to get paid. And I'm like, sweet. Ah. And, uh, and then uh, uh, I obviously jumped at the opportunity. And now it's, you know, seven and change eight years later. Um, and we've kind of created a category for content intelligence. Uh, we were the first business that, you know, had automated the content brief and was selling that. Um, you know, we're, and we're, now we're staying ahead of the uh, market with other fields like prioritization and creating predictive insights uh, for content. So we can tell you whether what content you should be creating, how much content you need to be making, how likely is it that's going to be successful and, you know, everything in between. Um, and that's really my mission. My mission is so that editors and writers are perceived as the most valuable assets in a org, but that they have to be focused on data in addition to their expertise. That's a great mission. Uh, mm -hmm. And thank you very much for sharing all these interesting things sure. with us. Yeah. Uh, so I'd like to ask you, and I guess that we can dive right into it. Uh, let's say that there is a, a new SaaS company that comes to you and uh, they need help um, because they need to build their con strategy from the ground up. They, they, they don't have anything, uh, blank canvas. What would be the starting point, I guess? Uh, where would you get started? Like, is it keyword research? Is it um, something else that you would recommend? This is what we need to do first. Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> I always, if I'm looking at an existing company's profile, you know, everybody always, when, when they're thinking about artificial intelligence, they want to jump to the end. They think they can just have content and it appears and it's magic and it will just work and do everything that they expect it to, to do. Typically, I'm walking through the entire content life cycle. Um, for a company that's reasonably established, they probably have 
web pages. They probably have some content in their organization. It may just not be perceived as being content marketing success stories, right? So first, you know, I would check to see, understand what they have. Um, because I want to also understand what processes are in place. And I think about the content life cycle as, you know, research and planning, prioritization, uh, briefing or standard sources of truth or SOP generation or standard operating procedures, um, writing, editing, publishing, uh, promotion, and then optimization. And then repeat back to your reporting, right? Um, and so, Typically, if I'm looking at a business, I want to understand the inefficiencies in their processes at each one of those stages. Um, so where is there, you know, manual labor? Where is there um, inefficiencies in what's being produced, what's being created? So if a company was coming to me and they said, I have no real content machine, I'm a brand new SaaS company, I'd look to see what do they have. If they truly have nothing, that gets into the research side. Um, and the inspiration for content, the why. I like to say Market Muse is the why for content. It's also the what, though, right? Um, and that's any good content strategist gets into what, why, and how. It's an old, uh, old consulting trick. You, know, you can look it up uh, for branding. Um, and you know, what, why, and how is really the way to think about this uh, for a brand new company. And the what comes from three main places. One is who you already are today. So that's uh, everything you already have, your content inventory, um, what people think of you, who those concepts. It comes into what you want to be, right? So you might have a dream list. You might have a, a word list that you want, your keyword list that you're tracking, you know, the, the wish list of the CEO, however that may play out. Um, and then third is going to be market. Um, so that market could come from industry information or it could come from competitive information. Um, so if you think about that as all yielding a topic universe, right, those, all those sources will all accumulate a large mass, and that is your universe. Now the problem becomes how do you prioritize that, and how do you know how much work is needed to attack each one of those concepts? Uh, and then that's really when you get, can get started if you truly have a zero site. And by the way, we, we work with teams that start with nothing. Um, and have no site, or they have, you know, a three or four page site. We also work with the largest publishers in the world um, to find ways to make stuff make sense. Um, the easiest way to think about that is I have my universe, I want to prioritize. What the plan then can become, what are your quickest wins? Where do you need foundational growth? Um, where do you have competitive risks? Um, and then what do you just need to get out the door? Um, and that's where I would be start, get started with the SaaS company that ha doesn't have a plan right now. I like that. Mm -hmm. let's, let's pose the question a bit differently now. Let's say that uh, a company that's well-established um, in their category uh, comes to you. Um, and I would like to use MailChimp as an example here. Let's say that MailChimp comes before 2017, before they launch their landing page uh, builder um, and set of features. And they come to you and they say, you know what, Jeff, we, we think about building a set of features around landing pages and we want to, we want to have org organic search as one of our best drivers of you know, user acquisition for uh, this set of new features. Can you please help us evaluate how easy or how difficult it will be for us to you know, make things happen for this category, let's say, of, of keywords or for this topic, how would you go uh, for something like that? 
That's a really great example. Uh, fun fact, uh, the head of art direction and design for MailChimp was a good close personal friend of mine in 2000. He was there from, I think, the earliest days. And I think he might have left in around the time that you're asking. Um, so I know this story real well. And I've talked to them. I talked to him and them about this, um, about where it could have went. Um, but no, I mean, if, if you have a business that doesn't have a strong um, uh, growth engine with content, you've got to look and see where that could be, where their power lies, right? So they may already perform in organic search with content that is not ideally positioned because in this case, they have such outsized off-page power um, because of the speed at which they created interest in their uh, product-led growth-related offering at this time, right? So from there, that's when you're getting into a content inventory or audit with a cross-reference of topics, of concepts, where to say, where do we have coverage that exhibits expertise? And where are we performing, but we're not necessarily um, matching, or we don't have a value match with people that land on this page, or that recognize our brand uh, for one reason or another. So how, you know, that's a real esoteric way of saying somebody is looking for, you know, what is a email marketing platform, right? And they land on our homepage. That doesn't answer that question. It's an intent mismatch. So shouldn't we have content that walks across the entire buyer journey for all of our target audiences? That's where they would have been able to get started much earlier than they actually did. They did come around in this case, I know the site really well, and begin that effort, but it was uh, late to the party. Um, it, and then it caused there to be, it to be a much more competitive landscape dynamic where they were then competing with the Marketos, the Pardots, the Salesforces, and the HubSpots of the world um, who had already kind of planted, but they were able to come back and make that happen. Um, it just didn't happen as early as it could have happened uh, for them. But that's really where I would go. You're looking at trying to understand what kind of breadth of coverage, depth of coverage, the quality of their existing coverage from the lens of what it would mean to be an expert, their current momentum, um, and then all the off-page factors that truly uh, uh, could illustrate an exhibition of, uh, of authority that does not, is not represented on their site. Um, so if you cross all those T's and, and dot all those I's, you can get to a sense of saying, hey, this is going to be an easy win for us. By the way, every SaaS company, if you're listening to this, you likely have one of these. Usually, the way you can find it, I'm going to give you an actionable walkthrough. Go to your homepage, go to Google Search Console, go to find the first thing on there that's getting lots of impressions and no clicks. Or getting clicks and you know your homepage, you don't actually do that. You don't actually have that content on your homepage because your homepage is just, you know, trying to get people to sign in or buy something or sign up for a free demo, right? That's going to be a, usually a signal of a huge gap that you don't have thought leadership, leadership material on those core topics. You know, so the homepage intent mismatch is the easiest to find. And now imagine you have, you likely have that on every other one of your pages. That's the exercise I would walk through with a MailChimp 2017. Uh, actually, that's, the mail, that's what I would be walking through with that to MailChimp 2015, 2014, 2013. Then I'd be like, yo, your support forums are a mess too. Support forum post-sale content? 
com customer content, post-sale content is often a treasure trove of inspiration. I agree. Think, think about I it. Agree. You want, you want somebody searching for, you know, e you know, email marketing cookies and they land on a, why is my MailChimp broken? Is there a cookie problem? And that's what they land on. That makes absolutely no sense. We need thought leadership that tells the story that we know everything there is to know about security as it relates to email marketing, cookies as it relates to email marketing. I just made that up, but that needs to be pulled out of the support as the landing page and into editorial. I used to do this with, I, I ran one of the largest forums for um, uh, com, you know, desktop computers, notebook computers, tablets, uh, photography uh, in the world. And we used to pull like, when we had very, very um, uh, passionate people who were, you know, show me your awesome gaming desktop rig, you know, or we had a forum on this one uh, brand of notebook computers that was super expensive. We pull that into editorial and build a great editorial hub. Um, and it would work together with the support forum. Like a lot of times SaaS companies, they just expose their um, support forum and, you know, they think it's worthless. It's actually massively powerful. Um, and so, you know, MailChimp at that time, that would have been it. But that's only because I know it because it's like five years, it's like five or more years ago. I remember looking at that site. So it's just a good question. But I can, I can usually wax intellectually about any site, but that one I actually knew. <laughs> I think I think it, it's a good question, but it's a great answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I I think that I agree with you that there is, and I was thinking about it the other day, like, I don't know if I heard anyone ever talk about support forums uh, for SaaS companies and the, the power that, 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 they, yeah. that they can have and how, I guess, um, under-leveraged uh, they, they may be. Uh, so that's a great point there. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, I'd like to shift gears a bit um, yeah. and discuss uh, code optimization. Now, I guess that, I don't know if, you know, this is exactly how you would label the, the category, but uh, you could say that market news falls under the, the category of content optimization. Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a secondary market. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a more mature uh, market. We entered the market in content optimization before it was market mature. And then it became a mature market, that function. And it usually lives within search engine optimization or content intelligence software, um, which we more float in the content intelligence or content strategy software um, with optim optimization as our, um, you know, something where we're the, we were the market leader. And then um, there are also search engine optimization platforms that have cut into content optimization. Okay, that's a great answer and, and a way to uh, distinct the uh, content optimization, content intelligence. My question here would be, what is your definition of content optimization? Um, and what are, in your experience, like some elements that content optimization on a page level, I, I assume, uh, should include? Is it, um, you know, breadth? Is it uh, depth of the topic? Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, because that's the way I like, I'm glad that I started off the question or like interrupted you by kind of walking through those pieces, but it's, it, it, it's that content optimization has to almost ride 
along with something else for it to make sense predictively. It's not a thing where if it can be a, it can it can't be a success in isolation. First of all, you have to have your site buttoned up from the lens of technical search engine optimization for the page that you're putting the content on. But if you were to think about content as standalone unit objects, the acts that you would apply against those pages could be just the act of optimization. Okay. So that's why it's a good story to tell. It's either coming from a lens of SEO or it's coming from a lens of content because in the end, those are all going to become one over time. And that might sound esoteric, but there's a great reason why all the enterprise search engine platforms who haven't updated in ages their premise, their infrastructure, all are taking big, hard looks at content. They're also taking big, hard looks at technical SEO. Because for the longest time, the tradition was tail wagging the dog. It was track rankings, do stuff because of rankings. Right? We now know that that's not tremendously valuable for either SEOs or for content people. And that's the answer to this question. So what is content optimization? In isolation, it's making sure that the pages on page is as, as clear of an exhibition of expertise to fit a particular place and time in the buyer or information journey and target market. So if it's an early stage awareness content item for beginners and it's on this topic, this is the best possible piece that represents the work of somebody who is an expert on that concept. Um, that's the easiest, most pragmatic answer to that question. But now it also needs to be interwoven into the web, right? It needs to be woven into your site. That's when stuff gets complicated, right? Because all the content you have on a concept works together in a big old blob on your site, <laughs> your network, and then everything that it's in interconnected with. So my beginner early stage awareness content item on this topic works with every other content item that I have on this topic. That's content strategy and content intelligence. Okay. The wing of this that gets into the pure SEO play is, is this a fast page? Does it load fast? Are my images optimized? Does it have schema? Does it have the proper structure? Is it being indexed? Where is it in my information architecture? Right. So the content acting together as a collection of content that exhibits expertise, when it is combined with the structural and SEO uh, conceptual stuff that I just mentioned, then it, only then does it become an ideally positioned, optimized piece of content that lives within a site. When it, if you're just talking about that individual function, it's just making the page as good as it can possibly be. But if I put that beautiful page on, let's say that's a, it's about a podcast microphones, all right? And I throw that website on georgesblog.org, all right? It's, it's 10,000 words. It's a beautiful page. It's got great pictures. You threw it on that blog. No chance at it performing, yeah. right? I go throw that exact same page on CNET, and it's number one this week. 
The answer to that question of why is not links. Although a lot of software providers wish that you would believe that it's just about links. Right. And that's why all their scores, all they are is about links where they have a big matrix of how much traffic sites get. And that's how they deduce how hard something is, which makes absolutely no sense. Total tail wagging the dog stuff. So if you believe content optimization is just updating words on pages, right? Functionally, it's making the page as good as it can be, but it as part of a strategy for search and it as part of a strategy for a real business is a much bigger, much bigger lens, which is why if you're building content optimization software, I have a there there, by the way, I'm going to finish this thought. If you're building content optimization software, where do you go as an org? You tend to go up the chain to content strategy, or you tend to go to traditional SEO concepts. If you started there, you tend to go up the chain to content or over. If you're an enterprise SEO platform who's made their life on track and rankings, adding a little content module, right? Good luck. You got a lot of infrastructure work to do. You're not actually ever going to be able to bridge that gap over time. It's going to be a huge infrastructure shift um, and, and, and conceptual shift for you. Okay, I'll come up from there. But yeah, basically, that's content optimization in a nutshell. That's why so many people get it wrong. So I, th I think that we are going uh, deep here, and I would like to, <laughs> to, to go a bit deeper and ask yeah. you, which is a question that bothers me for quite a while now, whether or not, because you have lived this since its you know, inception, and I would like to hear your thoughts on whether or not there are any moral slash ethical um, implications slash obligations here for content optimization tools. And I don't want even to, to think about AI generated content and, you know, mention it in this same question, but up to a certain degree, as I see it, um, content optimization tools control the outcome of, you know, the content that exists out there on the web. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether all this co uh, content homogeneity, let's say, copycat con, you can call it however you like. Mm -hmm. By uh, we we could argue that you know is is you know content optimization tools are responsible for that. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on whether or not there are any limits here, and whether there are any moral obligations and ethical implications on on how content optimization tools function. Um, there are, first of all, yes, there are dramatic ethical and moral obligations one has when writing content of any kind. Um, there's also legal impl implications, um, which certainly can get into, um, if, if one is goal, one's goal is to create content that is um, derived from other content um, for the purposes of, you know, so what I'll say is the optimization function, if uh, done as a, as a spin of existing content, um, as a stitch tactic, 
or as generation that does not get where value does not get added um, or it does not get checked and balanced, it has a significant ethical issue. Um, but the cool part about it is it also has a low likelihood of being successful over time. Um, and you may have, I mean, and it, this happened right about four years ago, there was a couple people, some people still follow them like they're warriors of the lost world. Um, but you know, where they were like, yo, it's awesome. Just go copy the top two ranking pages and put a little bit more in there and then it'll work. Right. And sometimes it would, and then the sites would crash and burn. There's a reason why all those case studies, the sites in them, every six months they change. Go back. If you want to go through web.archive.org, go back and check it out. Um, you know, and they've created this correlation SEO concept. Um, this works for me. This is, see, I can do it. You know, you can do it too. But it, oftentimes those sites, it was, they're just like proofs of concept effectively saying like, yeah, this can work because of this exception. There's a flawed logic there. You, you can identify the exception. That exception doesn't mean that it will universally work. Um, it's also, there's so many challenges in search with correlation, right? So that's why we think about this differently. We go out and we try to build a topic model by researching everything we possibly can on a concept. And then we build the beautiful golden model that says, if you were an expert on this, these are the things you would naturally understand. You can then cross-reference that against a, uh, any competitor page or a competitive landscape. That's real different than looking at the top 10 pages, smushing them together and sorting them by usage. Right. Well, it's real different than looking at the top two or three pages and saying, take their paragraphs, combine them all, and then throw it through a spinner. Right. That one's completely unethical. And the other one is a research effort that tells you how you can best be both as good as or differentiated. So if you're building or you're getting inspiration and then you're making it your own that's great i'm in full support of that but you've got to have that abstraction layer to separate your business because what happens if you don't right a lot of times optimization so first of all generation is far more ethically complex than optimization optimization becomes ethically uh challenged when it is a function of stealing and or theft of ip um theft of ip is the the fine line if your team is using that information to be inspired and you're taking what value does this page have how can i deliver that equivalent or better value that's great that's what you know Sorry, that's the world. That's, there's no immoral element of capitalism. Um, my tires only drive me 40,000 miles. Well, if I'm a tire company, I might want to make them drive 42,000 miles, right? Um, I might also make, want to make them more durable. I might want to also make them more beautiful or new rims on them that are, that are hot, right? Um, you know, that's always, you're always going to be able to look at a cohort and want to do better, right? If you are copying that cohort, that's when you're going into trouble. 
on the, on the ethics of generation, this is much more challenged, but when you put your name on your business's name on that article and you publish it, you own it. Um, if that, if that, if problems occur, you, it's as if you are that legal balance, right? So treating generation or generated drafts, just like you would treat an outsourcer <laughs> who, you know, would you really take somebody you've never worked with an outsourced writer and throw it on the home site, the homepage of your billion dollar company? That's what people are doing right now. It's bananas or they're buying stuff off of uh, writing networks. Guess what? The writers on these writing networks, they're using generators and spinners too. You can't just get a content item for $40. It doesn't work that way, especially with today's rates. Um, like, and so if you're not evaluating that, it's much like you had an editor on staff that was plagiarizing or potentially giving you work that didn't have facts correct. I mean, if you put, pay, if you put web pages on your site that have inaccurate facts on them, right? It's both a legal problem, it's an ethical problem, and it's also really stupid. I mean, it's, it, it's, it, it's like you wouldn't imagine doing that in any other field. It's just like cheating at SEO on a company that you want to be around for a while. I'll, I'll, I'll quote a Google engineer. I'll paraphrase a Google engineer that most people don't know. I get a lot of stuff uh, sent to me over the years. They call me uh, the Santa Claus SEO because I, I have a dead letter office. But I had a, a reference that was given to me where a, a um, Google engineer said, man, internally we say cheating is time correlative. You might win today and you might say that's the best seo thing in the world well we're gonna catch you it's just only a matter of time yeah, um, yeah. and google's proven that over and over again they may not get it right all the time but your thing that you think is going to be this like everlasting you know hot trick it's an exception you're in it you're, you're you're you can't get by with exceptions over time ask Ask every one of these large businesses that's made this mistake over time. Ask BMW if they're going to do something that has uh, mistakes on it. Um, the only way you get away with that, and that's another, this is another show, is if you're super hyper-powerful and you have an unfair advantage and can get away with Black Hat, which there are a collection of sites that do. I have them all in one spreadsheet. And I manage and monitor that. Now, get into the situation where you're talking about um, somebody's telling you to copy. All right. I've heard the head of editorial for a major publisher network say, don't copy us. We get away with murder. All right. You go copy them, you're dead. I see it happen all the time. FBA sites, publishers, they go, oh, yeah, this guru told me to go copy the top three ranking pages on google for this all right well the first ranking page is a major publisher the second one's an amazon s page we all know what an amazon s page is um and the third one is a wikipedia article go copy them good luck what happens see what happens go copy them i mean yeah extract all their keywords and, and time flip it or tf it good luck watch what happens to your site it'll go like this for a little bit and then it will crash and burn and then you'll be crying on someone's shoulder, typically someone like you, George, or someone like me. Uh, how do I fix this thing? They told me it was going to work. He said that this was scientifically proven to work. Um, and, and, you know, it's just not reality. 
it does. It's not how it works. I mean, and and, it, and it's not just because cheating is time correlative. And this is a long way to go from ethics, but also don't cheat. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. You can cheat. By the way, if you like cheating, cheat. But don't cheat on a big brand that you expect to be there for a while. Cheat if you're doing, you know, robot vacuums dot dash r us dot co to get FBA revenue. And if that site gets killed, you're going to go build seven other sites about robot vacuums. And like, you can cheat there, right? Cause, cause you know, that's, a, I don't advise it. It's not a real great way to live. You can't look in yourself in the mirror. You can't, you know, set your watch to that. You can't pay your bills. If that's something like that, but don't do it. If you're working for a big brand, you cheat and you're working for a brand you want to, to have longevity. I mean, you're just, you know, digging a hole. And one day you're going to have to crawl in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes sense. And I think that uh, <laughs> maybe we probably will have to bring you on for the, for a second uh, episode. Uh, we are running out of time, but I, I would like to have one last question, uh, sure. which I know is important for many of the people who are listening to this. And I guess that you have worked over the years with many, comp- uh, with many companies uh, that have, I can only assume, big teams uh, in-house when it comes to content, um, content marketing, SEO. And I would like to hear from you when companies try to scale things up, where do you usually see things break when it comes to scaling things up, when it comes to you know, content production? And- uh, well, I mean, their, their eyes are bigger than their... Uh, their, their- you know, what they can actually digest. Um, there, you, you know, you want to get eyes are bigger than the stomach is the, is the phrase. Um, but they want to get a whole lot of content out the door. And then if they haven't scaled, there's inconsistencies in their output, their feedback loop cycles aren't tuned and that actually slows them down. They don't have a source of truth with their content like in the form of a brief um, or they're not happy with the efficiency of that brief process. Um, and then uh, a lot of times they're um, uh, they are unpredictable with the um, how much content they actually need to make an impact. So when they go, they go, they have the strategy, they know what has to get done. They start to write it's slower and then some of the stuff they spend all this time on and they've established this brief process, it's not yielding the benefits that they need to immediately have that gratification. And then they're like, I don't think content is going to work for us. And that's the, it just grinds. Um, where I focus is you want to have a combination of quick wins, longer term, mid to long term objectives, um, competitive risk management objectives. Um, and then have uh, money baked in for updating existing content. Biggest problem that a lot of publishers have is they don't have strong update processes in place. Um, So it's not just about creation. So when a team's trying to scale updates, integration, um, have that source of truth, lightweight, um, and then make sure you understand what the feedback loop is, how long things are going to take and try to optimize each stage. That's a lot to say. Um, but what I say is don't try to go from zero to a hundred, right? Make sure it works at a, a, a stair step up. Um, don't be afraid to outsource 
um, to a extremely highly skilled outsourcing firm with the expectation that you will take it in-house. Um, a little trick, want a quick trick for everybody going through this, right? Outsource it and learn from those people what works and what doesn't. Learn from their processes. If you've never done it, learn from them. They don't, you know, you tell them up front, I want to take this in-house. They'll laugh and go, oh, you want to say, but learn from, learn from it. Talk to companies that, talk to companies that scale content teams, right? Talk to companies that outsource entire teams. Talk to companies. You're going to find real soon, and this is the, the, uh, the learning of the day, right? Is the payload, the actual content itself, right? While that's the thing that comes out at the end of the cycle, isn't the whole point. It's getting to that in a way that that content item, when published, will be successful. So many people just focus on that as a piece, as a unit, or an object, or a widget. It's not. Um, and you'll hear it. I actually I did a webinar with one of the best editorial operations persons in the world. You can go to marketmuse.com webinars uh, two ago. It's with a woman named Jennifer Rodner from Elite Editing. Um, I recommend everybody listen to that if they're scaling their content team. It's a masterclass in going from zero to 60. Um, so check that out. We'll definitely drop that in the show notes. Uh, sure. Thanks for suggesting that. Mm -hmm. So I had many more questions that I'd like to, to ask and discuss <laughs> with you, uh, but we have, uh, we have to wrap things up. Um, so my last question and the call to action for our listeners, where can people find out more about you and Market News and get in touch if they want to? Um, Jeff at marketmuse.com, Jeffrey underscore coil on Twitter. I typically answer everything. Uh, shoot me a note, um, LinkedIn, uh, marketmuse.com. Ping me if you set up a free demo. I'll see if we can get one that's personalized uh, for your site uh, hooked up. Um, yeah, if, if you're unclear about what your return on investment is with content, if your content efficiency rates, like you're writing 100 articles a month, and only like five of them get in any traffic. Uh, you know, you're doing the content inventory once a year. You know, you don't know why your competitor keeps beating you up. Um, you know, any one of these things, give us a call uh, and we'll figure out a way, uh, whether it's with us uh, or you might need something else. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, the cool thing about working at Market Muse is we're all really, really passionate about you getting to a path to success. Whether it's, you know, you have a lot of work to do to even think about content right now. Um, and, you know, or yeah, this is perfect for you. You've got some easy wins. Um, I always like to give people a few quick wins every time I talk to them because it, you know, it's totally selfish. Um, they can go do it and then they're like, sweet, that worked. Um, but no, that, that's, that's really a way to think about it. But yeah, give me a ring. Uh, shoot me an email, jeff at marketmuse.com or go sign up for a demo and um, you'll be glad you did. That's great. I uh, really enjoyed this one. Jeff, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much. George. This has been a pleasure and um, I look forward to our next discussion. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, AHFs. 
Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahers.com/awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.